0: So one of the things that's, uh, we've hinted at this before already today, but one of the hit things that <laughs> is is so good about weekends like this is the time to not only hear a lot of information, but spend some time in impartation, which is allowing God to come and minister to us. So fundamentally, there's a, we can do a lot of teaching about a person called the Holy Spirit, um, but actually we want to give time for that, that person to come and minister to us. So what I'd like to do is... Um, speak into this session now, and then we're going to come back to just an open time of worship where I'm going to ask that we just get open to God for things like prophecy and uh, gifts of the Spirit. What we really like to do is pray for people, and we'll make that clear about what we'd like to pray for or what you might ask us to pray for. I have brought a fantastic team with me, um, uh, and we'd love to pray for people Not just now, but this evening, tomorrow, wherever you see us, don't hesitate to ask us if you would like prayer for whatever it might be. So I would like to um, talk now about another thing that the Holy Spirit's come to do for us, and it's simply that he's come to empower our lives. You'll remember that I mentioned this morning that uh, when we get born again, we're not consciously experiencing the Spirit because it's a work of the Spirit. Have you all kind of grasped that? And uh, I think it's very important because then we're going to see in a moment, Christians in the early church then went on to encounter the Holy Spirit. It's a separate experience from conversion. And it's important that we all kind of grasp that so that we know where we're at in terms of our own experience of the Spirit himself. So very, very well-known verse to churches like Freedom Church would be, for example, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which describes... One of the reasons the Holy Spirit's come, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What I want to really focus on is you will receive power when my spirit comes on you. So hang on a minute. I've been born again of the spirit. Now it's talking about the spirit coming upon me and and not to cause me to be born again, but to cause me to have power to live the Christian life. It's fundamental that we grasp this. And the reason it's fundamental, we live in an age where across the globe, men and women have been discovering the Holy Spirit. So when I was first born again, some of us just over tea this afternoon were discovering we were in the same meetings in 1977, and it's a long time ago. We didn't know one another, obviously, then, and I obviously looked a lot younger than the people that I was talking to. But the reality is, um, you know, you suddenly think, my goodness, we've been around for a long time. Over the last four or five decades, there's been a remarkable move of God throughout the world, and it's not bypassed Europe and the United Kingdom. And the fundamental uh, uh, issue at stake is verses like this. So I was raised in a, in a background where when you became a Christian, that's it, you got everything. So no one ever thought about asking for power or asking for the Holy Spirit to come. And so what I'm sharing with you this afternoon is something in the heart of God for us. It's a direct connection with the coming of the Holy Spirit upon us and the power that we need in our lives. So it would be not unusual for you to say, where's the power in my life? I feel robbed. I feel I have no power. It would be very consistent of you, if you read the book of Acts, to ask the question, yeah, but in Western society, where are the miracles? That's a good question. Where are the miracles? Where is the power? Why does the church lack power in the United Kingdom? Why don't we seem to be making uh, so advances? Why do we seem to be always with our backs to the wall? about to give up and raise the white flag and hope Jesus comes back again. It's kind of like, that, the mentality is a bit like that in this country. So to ask, but you know, when I read your word, Lord, and I hear stories around the world of China and Africa, how come there's power, but we don't have it? I think the answer to that question is all to do with this person, the Holy Spirit. I think power is I, something. I think it's all wrapped up in this person, when you receive the Spirit, this person we're looking at this morning, the Holy Spirit, then you will have power. So here's the answer. To those of us who lack power, the answer is a relationship with the person who can give power. It's not a sp- an experience of power. If it was not an experience of power, we'd just get you all in a long row. We'd just lay hands on you. Power, 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 power. It's in the reality, is you don't get it like that because you grow in your, your relationship with a person called the Holy Spirit, and then you become empowered to live the Christian life. Uh, Some of you are looking blank. I'm going to say it again. I love to repeat things until I think people have got it. It's like the church, the more the church is filled with this person, a spirit-filled people, then the more evidence of power there will be amongst us. It's not even sermons on power that are going to do it. It's a person. And if I walk hand in hand with this person tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and increase in my relationship with him, I will know the power of God in my life to live the Christian life. It's the power to live the Christian life. It's the power to overcome issues in my life. It's the power to be a witness. It's the power to do the works of Jesus. I actually think the power of God has got to do with two things, and we'll look at this in a moment. Power to work within us. that has the The gospel has the power to transform our lives. So it's wonderful the gospel saves us from our sins, but that's only the beginning of the story. The rest of the story is that he wants to make you more and more like Jesus. The rest of the story is he wants to work a powerful work in your life, the gospel transforming every part of your life, even the way that you think. That The Holy Spirit is the one who will make that happen. This is why the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, keep on being filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, be being filled with the Spirit, be empowered with the Spirit, constantly being reminded that he is the answer to an internal work within us and then of course power's not only worked internally but externally so the things that jesus did you were able to do you can lay hands on the sick and see them recover cast out demons even raise the dead moving power and in signs and wonders believing that the name of jesus will be wonderfully glorified And when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, as we're doing in a moment, what you discover is every believer who's been born of the Spirit is then baptised in the Holy Spirit, not to save them, but to give them power. (laughs) Let me repeat that, because these are not my thoughts, this is the Word of God. When you study the Word of God, every born-again Christian, every believer seems to then have an encounter with the Holy Spirit to give them power to live the Christian life. Why are we any different? Don't we need this person to give us power as well? Don't we need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit? So account after account is given of people saved who were then filled with the Spirit. And from the day of Pentecost onwards, the early church clearly knew this power coming upon them. Baptist, baptism means to be drenched in, to be clothed in, to be overwhelmed by it's the need of our lives today as well. So what I'd like to do, just to kick off with, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit and power, is just to spend a few moments looking at the baptism in the Holy Spirit from a very biblical point of view. And there's two things. It's not going to get complicated, okay? And I know a lot of you have heard a lot of these things before, but there are two things I'm going to look at in terms of Back to the Holy Spirit. First of all, the promise to all believers. The promise, if you're a believer here today, you have to understand that the promise is for you. And the second thing we'll look at is the Acts. The book of Acts is an account to show us that this is normal Christianity. I think we're the ones that are not living normal Christianity. So if you, if you look at everything in the Bible is, we've got it all together, and they're a bit weird, a bit over the top, a bit radical. I want to turn that on his head and say, we're the ones that are a bit weird and strange because of the lack of power and the lack of that which is radical in our lives. What I'm seeing here is, is, is normal Christianity. So the first thing this is important is the promise to all believers. And whether, whether or not today you feel you want to be baptized in the spirit, whether you want prayer for this or not, or you want to wait, it's up, entirely up to you. What I'm concerned this afternoon is you as an individual get convinced that this promise of the Holy Spirit is absolutely for you. John chapter 1, verse 29, is the account of Jesus coming to be baptised in water. And John the Baptist is kind of one of the central figures. And God's spoken to John the Baptist about one day he will baptise the Messiah, Jesus. So in verse 29, he sees Jesus coming t- down to the water. So you've got to remember, John the Baptist is baptising people who are repenting of their sins as a precursor to Jesus coming to get them ready <clears throat> but he's kind of looking for the Messiah he's kind of looking there will come a day when one will come to be baptized and you'll know it's him and verse 29 the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said and I think he probably said it not in a whisper but in pretty loud voice you don't mind me getting a bit dramatic this afternoon behold <laughs> it was pretty impressive wasn't it behold, he points his finger because he's coming down, the lamb, everyone everyone there is listening to this, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He kind of sees prophetically and makes a statement about Jesus. Here's the one who's the lamb. What's the lamb? The lamb's got to be sacrificed. He's, this is the one who's going to become sin even though he knew new sin, no sin so that he could take away your sin because you're a sinner. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a statement he's making boldly about who this Jesus is. Verse 32. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. We made that point earlier today. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water said to me, he who, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And you can't have it one way and not the other. Here is Jesus... The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Big tick for all of us. And in the same breath, here is Jesus who will baptise you with the Spirit. So the one who's come to take away your sins is the one who comes to baptise you with the Holy Spirit. The one who baptises you with the Holy Spirit is Jesus. You come to Jesus, the one who forgave your sins. And if that wasn't a problem to you, then it shouldn't be a problem to you to come to Jesus to receive the Spirit. And so that's the basis of this. Mark chapter 1, verse 38. The other gospels say the same. I baptise you with water, says John, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that we believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God. I just want you to believe in the same breath he's the one who baptises in the Holy Spirit. You can't have your cake and eat it. You got to have one and the other. Both of them go together, okay? And there are words in the Bible that describe this being drenched, dipped in, full immersion. Words like the spirit fell on them. The spirit had not yet been given to them. They were yet to receive the spirit. The spirit came upon them. These are not passive words. Have you noticed? These are words of action. These are words of an experience that won't be doubted. They're real. So here I am. Born of the Spirit, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but I've not yet been baptized in the Spirit. The great news for you today is it's going to happen. And it's going to happen because it's all to do with a promise. He will baptize those who follow him with the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic thing to know this promise is going to happen. Now, if there is a promise, You have to do two things. One is look at the one who made the promise. And the second thing is to reach out and receive the promise. The promise is a gift. You don't get gifts shoved on you. You have to receive them freely. So who made the promise? Jesus. So does he have the power to baptise you in the Holy Spirit? What do you think? I think so. Will he? Well, yes, because he always keeps his promises. If I was to make a promise to you now, I'm not sure that you should be absolutely certain that I'm going to come up with the goods for several reasons. One, because you don't know me. I might be a guy who makes promises and breaks them. Secondly, because you're looking at the colour of my hair and you're thinking, well, you might not remember the promise (laughs) that you gave even a few minutes ago. The tendency maybe to forget. And, And some of you rightly will be saying, I'm not sure you have the authority to do this. So if I was to lay hands on you for the baptism of the Spirit this afternoon, I actually can't give you that. It's only Jesus. But our confidence comes in knowing the one who took away your sins. He's the same one who will now baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the qualification. So that's, yes, I believe the promise because of the one who said it. The qualification is very simple. The qualification is being a child of God. It's the only qualification. Some people say, well, I'm not good enough for the baptism in the Spirit. That is utterly irrelevant. On the day of Pentecost, the first people were baptised in the Holy Spirit. They hadn't time to think about how good they were. They hadn't time to go to Bible college. They hadn't time to grow up and become a mature Christian. Some people think, well, it'll happen when I'm mature. No, 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 no. It can happen to you the day you're born again, actually. And it should happen as close to the time when you're born again. These well-known words. Come on, stick with me. I know it's the afternoon, the graveyard session, but we'll get there. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptised, every one of you. That's talking about water. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Full stop, Lamb of God who takes away the sins. And you, separately, will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look at this. What is it? The promise. Say the promise. The The promise. promise is for and your children and and your children's children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Let's nail something. I come from a background where they said this only happened in the first century. How come it's for you and your children and your children's children, and for all who are far off. This was mentioned in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. We're in somewhere in the middle of Mid-Wales. I have no idea where I am, but somewhere in the middle of Mid-Wales. We're pretty far off from Jerusalem, and we're 2,000 years down the track. This promise is for you today. It's not about something in the past, it's something present. And so it's important we understand that you and I qualify If you are a child of God, that's the only basis of qualification to receive the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. Age is irrelevant. Whether you're doing well or not is irrelevant. Thinking that I can't receive this because I'm not yet ready to deserve it. You don't. You never did deserve it. You don't deserve it. And I've got bad news for you. You never will. So get over yourself. It's not about you and yourself. It's knowing, I'm not doing very well, but I am a child of God. I'm not feeling very spiritual, but I am a child of God. I haven't been a Christian for very long, but I am a child of God. All of these things are vital for you to grasp this. Do you qualify? And if you could sit there today and say, I am a child of God. That's the only qualification. I know I'm a child of God. Let me tell you, you're halfway there already. If you know that, That is the basis of you receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So churches are fundamentally full of disciples of Jesus and kind of like many of them have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and they know it, and the other people in the church are those who are about to. That's a really liberating thing. Because I know some churches where people say, well, it's not fair, I am not baptised in the Spirit, as if it's everybody else's problem, or it's their fault. The reality is, in my church back at home, we've got people who've been wonderfully baptised in the Spirit, received the promise, and everybody else is about to. And I just try to encourage people. Say, so, well, I got prayed for before and nothing happened. Well, the promise is still the same, you're still a child of God, come back again. Keep on believing the promise. I'll tell you my testimony in a moment because I have a very strange testimony of waiting endlessly for something that had already been promised to me. <laughs> it's just complicated when you don't understand this truth. I wish someone had said this to me right at the beginning of my Christian life, but it, it wasn't there and it caused all sorts of complications and wanderings in my life. So that is the promise to all believers. We, had, we raised four kids and um, when they got to pre-senior school, do you still have senior schools? Yeah. Thank you. Pre-senior school, I can never remember which what, age, what year is what anyway. Uh, I and I, they become Christians one by one, obviously different times because different ages. But one of the things we, we were really very keen for them to have was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so we prayed for them that they would receive the Spirit and uh, it was just wonderful because, you know, when you're a child and you receive something from God for yourself, it's nothing to do with mum and dad. It's nothing to do with the church that you're in. It's put God himself on you. The, the, the difference is dramatic in their lives. And I didn't want my kids going to senior school without the power of God in their lives because it's, it's, it's jolly tough. And I wanted them to know themselves. And I believe it was that that carried them through rather than me keep telling them, you'll be all right, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. It's something that comes from God Himself. It's a promise to every believer and your children and your children's children. Okay, like so there were two. The second thing is the is the book of Acts. Uh, I think it's been pretty clear already, um, but I want you to show show you how normal it is. So we could look at loads of scriptures, but we'll just look at a couple of them. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. I just want to take you on a little bit of journey to, to help us. And incidentally. If you've already received all of this, you think, well, I've I've already had all this. I want you to know that you're meant to tell other people about this. If you can't lead people into the baptism of the Spirit, then this is really relevant for you as well. So we need a whole army of people in the church that when everybody in Liverpool starts getting saved and joining us, you're going, hey, you know, it's, it's been amazing to me over the years that people have said to me, Okay, I've got the Christian stuff and everything else, but there's something you're not telling me about, isn't there? I said, what do you mean? Well, there's just something missing, isn't there? you all into something that I... And they're really already knowing that there's something about the Holy Spirit that they need in their lives. It's not me telling them, it's they already know that. And sometimes it's hard if there's only one or two people in a church that can pray for all these people coming in. If we were all trained and all ready. So this is for all of us today so that we can explain this to other people themselves. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12 But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised in water, both men and women. Even Simon himself, who was a magician and was after some money, even he believed, and after being baptised, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Can I ask you a question? On the basis of what I just read, were these people Christians? It's not a trick question. Good answer. Anybody else want to join Liz? The answer is yes. Clearly they're saved. Next verse, verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Look at this for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so we see this clear distinction. Remember I said this morning that you get born again, but not consciously experiencing the Spirit because it's about Jesus and about becoming a Christian. And these people had exactly that experience, but then guys came along and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, not for conversion, but for power to live their christian life i'm using this as an example if you want to do some more reading on this just go through the whole of the book of acts and you'll find that this is a pattern over and over and over and over again if people have been baptized in water but hadn't yet received the spirit the first thing they did was they prayed for them the holy spirit sometimes falls on people before we get to water baptism as soon as spirits fall upon them they order them to get baptized wouldn't that be great to be able to do that you three elders you can you should start getting into this you know as people in my church are not yet baptized and i'm I think some of you would be, in a very English kind of way, advised that it might be appropriate at some time in your life that, when you felt ready and Granny was happy, that you might like to consider being someone who was baptized. <laughs> <laughs> Not wanting to offend anybody, Don't what they did in the Scripture. They ordered them to be baptized because it was kind of like the understanding was salvation, water baptism, baptism in Spirit. If there's any one of those things missing. They wouldn't let them get into something else until they got all of this into their lives because it was so wonderfully fundamental. Verse 13 tells us that there's this guy who even Simon wanted to kind of pay money for the things that he was seeing. It's just quite kind of scary. It says in verse 17, they laid hands on them and they received the Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. It's not a good idea, saying... Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you would obtain the gift of God with money. The reality is, even this slightly dodgy character was impressed by the power that came upon people. It was life-changing. It was a remarkable thing that was happening into people's lives. One illustration, very quickly. We want to give loads of time to pray for one another. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, you have to pause at that moment. Obviously, He believed that believing and receiving the spirit were two different things. Otherwise, he would never have asked the question. It doesn't make any sense. So presumably in those days, it was common to ask people, have you received the spirit since you first believed? Did Paul sense there was something missing in this group of disciples? I think he probably did. I think he looked at them and he thought, I don't think you've had the spirit yet. Now it goes on, this is interesting, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And now Paul's getting inquisitive, he's getting confused, he says, and say," he said, into what then were you baptised? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptised with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's absolutely possible that these people were not believers, not proper believers. They were kind of followers and on the way, but they were not proper believers. So he checks them out. <coughs> he, he, he preaches the gospel to them. and And on verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus into water. So he was clear that they got saved. Look at this. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all, which means there would have been a group much bigger than that. And so, and so I want you to see that even when he thinks, oh, I'm not sure they're believers or not, the moment he makes, calls them believers, he baptizes them in water, and then he prays for the Spirit to come upon them. It is utterly consistent that this is the experience that people had over and over and over again. I think one of the dangers for churches like Freedom Church and churches like the one I come from and other churches we're working with is this. There's a lot of people who are Christians who are looking for a church like yours. And they come here and they find there's life. They find that you're fairly contemporary. They find that you're quite modern. They find find, that people full of life and exciting. And so they're looking for a church like that and they find a church like yours. There's a reason that you're like you are. And it's not because you're cool and contemporary. Sorry to say it, you're not. My church isn't either. Even though I've got musicians have long beards, it still doesn't work. still doesn't work. It doesn't work. At the end of the day, the reason your church is like you are is because of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to shortchange people when they come amongst us by thinking, well, I can just fit into the liveliness of the thing. I I remember one lady who I knew was, uh, her husband was full on and she was very hesitant about things of the Spirit. And one day after about a year of being in the church, I said, how are you doing with the things of the Spirit? And she says, I'm slowly getting used to it. And I wanted to say to her, I don't want you to slowly get used to it. I want you to experience what everybody else is experiencing because that's God's purpose for you. I think we're in danger of shortchanging new converts So when people come to Jesus, like the person I mentioned earlier said, there's something you're not telling me. We need to lay hands on them. I think we're in danger of shortchanging our children and the youth because they get familiar with speaking in tongues and prophecy, so they just grow up in the church and no one lays hands on them. We just assume that they're filled with the Spirit and I tell you they're not. And then we have guests coming to us from other traditions. And it's vital that we say to them, do you know what? The reason we're like this is we've had an experience of the spirit, not because we're just a certain kind of a person or a personality. Ideally, in an ideal world, which is the Acts of the Apostles, (laughs) it should be for us, people get clearly saved, they get clearly baptised in water, and they have an experience of the spirit. I really, Liz knows this story, years and years ago, I was in, in India, in Kerala, way down south, and I was very excited about visiting this church. I was the visiting speaker. I was very excited because this was a church that had about seven or 800 converts in the last year, virtually all of them from a Hindu background. And so they'd really had, it was pumping. When I got in there, it was just what I thought it was, absolutely pumping. And, um, and Robin, strange name from an Indian pastor, he said to me before the meeting started, he said, now make sure you preach the gospel at some point during your and it was like, you know, these early church apostles who, obey, who, who commanded them to be baptised. He was commanding me to preach the gospel because we do that every week. I'm a strange guy from England, so maybe I wouldn't do that. And I looked at him and I'm thinking, well, of course I do that all the time. Anyway, so... He says, make sure I preach the gospel at certain times. So I'm halfway through my word, which is essentially the questions. I thought, well, here goes, anything to keep Robin off my back. And so <clears throat> I then did a little gospel presentation and said, and if you want to know Jesus, please put your hand up now. And immediately 30 hands went up in the air. And I had to look cool at that point, like, oh, this happens all the time, whenever I preach. Especially back in Liverpool, you know, I just make an appeal and everyone gets saved. I didn't know what to do. I was completely thrown halfway through my word. I'm thinking, I've lost my place, where do I go? And then I, uh, no one had told me anything, so I said, um, uh, would you like to stand? So all 30 all stood there like this, round the room, and said, and I'm sure someone now will look after you. <laughs> it was really professional. And slowly the 30 all went to the side, and they came down to the side here, and sure enough, a whole load of people came out and prayed for them. And I preached my way through the word and I made an appeal to Christians. And all the Christians came down this side. And we were praying for this Christian. While we were praying for the Christian, I could hear this noise going on behind me all the time in the pack of Hindus that had just got saved. And the Christians by now had had their little blessing from God and they'd gone back to their seats and they were all going home. And the non-Christians hadn't moved. They were all still there an hour and a half later. So I said in the end, I was intrigued. I said, Robin, what's, what's all this about? This is not quite how we do it back in my country, I don't think. So just, and he, and he looked at me and he said, well, these are people from a Hindu background. And, um, of course, they really do. We need to really make sure they've encountered Jesus and they really know that their sins are forgiven. So people are praying for them that they haven't utterly repent of it all. And then, of course, they need to know the lordship of Christ. And so... We pray for them that they might really obey Jesus because that's very important as well. And because they're Hindus, it's important they say goodbye to the past. So we may, we, we ordered them to be baptized the following Sunday because that's important too. And then they said because they're from a Hindu background, they have a lot of demons that are at work in their lives and a lot of, of, of demonic activity. So the noise you were hearing was us casting out demons it's kind of like, David, this is how you do it. And we're casting out demons and uh, we can't send them back to their Hindu village unless they've been really set free from these, the, 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 the demonic. And of course, we need them to go back in power. So then we lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit before they leave the meeting. And all the time, he's got a look on his face while he's looking at me and thinking, is there any other way to lead people to Jesus? And I'm looking at him thinking, well, wow, I'm, I'm not we through it quite like this. But the impact upon me was massive for this one reason. When I came back to the UK, the danger for me was thinking it's India. And then I realized, I thought about all my secularized friends who are coming to Jesus. And don't they need the power of the Holy Spirit to live in their world? And don't they need to know that Jesus can set them free from everything that controls them? Absolutely, they do. So for me, it was like a kind of like a wake-up call to realise that we have the responsibility to really make sure that people have the power of God (coughs) in their lives. You know, from the day of Pentecost onwards, no one's ever asked to wait for the Spirit to come again. The only time Jesus said, wait, in Jerusalem, but when the Spirit of God came upon them, there's no one waiting anymore. They all understood this is the promise and that it was available for them now. And if you are a child of God, you don't have to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's available to you. It's God's gift to you. My experience and Liz's experiences are quite different. I, I kind of, I knew it was a promise from God, but I just got it wrong. I, I just thought that I had to wait and I waited and I got prayed for and nothing happened. I got prayed for again, and nothing happened. I would be in my bedroom this went on for month after month. Lord, you promised, you promised, you promised. Where, where, where? And I think I was trying to think of some magical formula or something angelic was going to happen or something. And I just waited and waited. And all the time I was waiting, it was a time of a real move of the Spirit in our Baptist church, as it was at the time. And we had a massive young people's group. And one by one, all my friends were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And every Sunday, we'd come back. Have you heard? John's being baptized in the Spirit. And they would say that to me. And through gritted teeth, I'd say, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Underneath, I was saying, why not me? Why not me? And then something happened. Two things happened. One is, the more I went on waiting, rather than being put off, the more I got convinced that it was a promise from God. I just got hungrier and hungrier and thirstier and thirstier. And the other thing was... <laughs> I knew some of these guys who were getting saved, and I knew they were no better than me. <laughs> and I thought, well, if they can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's obviously not the basis of their behavior. <laughs> it must be the grace of God. So I just grew in that qualification. But when I look back, I think God was doing things in my character. But I actually think if I'd grasped this thing, that actually it's a promise from the Father that I should receive. And then, obviously there came a day when I suddenly got it, and I reached out. And then I was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time in my life. Liz was a backslidden Christian. She'd gone off on the hippie trail, a long time ago, and uh, on her way to Afghanistan, but got as far as Greece and stayed there for two years and was completely away from God, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. And Through miraculous things, she comes back into a church which has been transformed while she was away about the things of the Spirit. And uh, she was one of these, there's something you're not telling me about. There's something missing that I never had in my life. And a couple that were counseling her to take her through her DNA course, she stopped them and the first one and said, Look, there's this thing about the Holy Spirit. Why are you going through all this stuff with me when this is what I really need? And they'd hardly got there, they hardly got the words out. And she shot across the room for them to lay hands on her. And she was immediately baptized in the Spirit. Why? Because she'd understood that this is the promise that was missing in her life. So we have different experiences of how we receive the Holy Spirit. But the point is we qualify and he is the one who comes to us where we're at. There's no blueprint for how this happens. People's experiences are very different. Some people receive the Holy Spirit, the of Spirit, very quietly and very gently. Some very dramatically. Some people speak in tongues when they're baptized in the Spirit. Some people do not. Baptism spirit is not about speaking in tongues. It's the outworking of the coming upon of the spirit into your life. Some get prayed for and very little happens. And then they go away from the meeting and it all happens when they're on their own. Some Often people have hands laid on them. That's normal biblical stuff. Sometimes it happens when they don't. I have an aunt who was in the meeting some years ago and uh, she was... Um, uh, very nervous uh, and, and things were happening around and her husband had got baptised in the Spirit and speaking in tongues and everything, but she just kind of couldn't get herself to the place where she could ask somebody. And then she was driving home after that meeting and the Spirit of God fell upon the car and she had to, drive, she had to go over into the lay-by and sit there. And as she sat there, the Spirit of God just came on her. It, it, it's like that. It's like when we're open to him, he will come to us and meet us where we are. It's not a formula. It's something we need to be open to to receive from God. Finally, some outworkings of the evidence for the baptism in the Holy Spirit are as follows. I go through this quickly. Number one, when you have received the Spirit like this and baptised in the Spirit, It should result in a desire for more of the things of the Holy Spirit. This is really important. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is only the beginning for a longing for a lot more of the things of the Spirit. I don't think baptism in the Spirit is a one-off experience. You can say, great, I've got that ticket, I'm on my way to heaven. The whole point of it is that you then go on being filled with the Holy Spirit and for some Christians, yeah, they got baptised in the Spirit 20 years ago, but right now they're not experiencing the Spirit, which is more, which is more important. I actually think it's more important that they're now experiencing the Holy Spirit in this dramatic way. It's tragic that some people stop at having the experience, the old experience. It's meant to open the door for a continual filling of the Holy Spirit over and over again. And even this weekend... My prayer is that we're kickstarting a hunger and thirst for more things of the Spirit so that the Spirit can come upon us and he can use us for his glory. If you were once baptised in the Holy Spirit, but your honest testimony today is I'm not really moving in the things of the Spirit, we'd love to pray for you today to unblock those wells so that once again you can start to move in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is fruit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's great if you speak in tongues, but the Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians 13 that if you speak in tongues and you do not have love, then you're just making a noise. And so I think love trumps, I love saying that word these days, love trumps everything. I'm always talking about things trumping things. It trumps everything else because it's more important. And actually tomorrow morning, we're going to spend quite some time talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um... But from conversion onwards, that there is a work of the Spirit in your life. And I think the baptism in the Spirit is just a, an opportunity for more love, more joy, more peace. To begin to become activated in our lives. When I was at college, um, theological college, I had a friend who was prayed for. And he, he was really disappointed that he didn't speak in tongues when he was prayed for to be baptized in the Spirit. He was really kind of low about it. He wanted to speak in tongues thing is after a month or two that he had so radically changed in the way that he related to people he was quite an unloving kind of guy two months later he was (coughs) flood and we one day i remember someone saying have you noticed how much you've changed speaking in tongues came later what was more important for him is to realize the outworking for him of the baptist spirit was the fruit of the spirit in his life thirdly and this is the center of what we're talking about today it's power this is God's promise to us of having the power of the Spirit at work within us. Many of us come into the kingdom of God with habits and with addictions, with wrong ways of thinking, baggage, the way we're brought up, abuse. I mean, I could go on this massive mental health issues and all the rest of it. More and more people that are coming to Jesus are coming from that kind of a background. With all the counselling in the world and all the expertise that we might have, and I don't dispute that, all those things can help. But surely being filled with the Spirit and going on being filled with the Spirit is a major, major key. And the testimony of many, we do have a thing called freed for purpose in our church, which is a kind of freedom in Christ thing. And this is basically soaked in the Spirit. So although they're having a lot of truth from the word of God, we're very quick to lay hands on people, to pray for them, to take them on a journey they might encounter the spirit because it's the spirit and the power of the spirit within them. So I believe that the power of the spirit of God has greater power than anything in anybody's life that they bring with them into the kingdom of God. Nothing can stand. We are more than conquerors through him. And so today, we're all here today with all sorts of issues, etc. But the reality is this. He has the power to overcome every one of them. This is what it says in Ephesians 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, internally within you. We need the power of the spirit as well, not only internally, but externally. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to move, well, Something like Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, sight to the blinds. It's just gospel to the poor. All of this is outward demonstrations of the power of the spirit. And this was the spirit that Jesus, this was the text that Jesus read at the beginning of his ministry. And this is the spirit that's now upon us so that we today can say the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. To heal the brokenhearted hearted and to set the captives free. And it comes rooted in the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul said to Timothy, you did not receive a spirit of timidity, but of power, love and self-control. It's kind of like those people here today who are shy and timid, you absolutely qualify for all of this. Do you know why? Because when it happens, we all know it wasn't you. <laughs> I'm amazed at some people who do extraordinary things for God and yet I know them, their personalities. It's not a personality thing. <clears throat> some of us who are loud and going for it kind of people. <clears throat> it's kind of sometimes hard to see God in lives like that because we're all provado. We all need the power of the Spirit internally and externally. Fourthly, evidence for the, the baptism spirit is freedom i guess this is a very generalized comment i'm going to make the background i came from if you had come to my church in those days there wasn't a lot of freedom especially in worship i remember the first person that ever put their hand up in the last verse of and can it be on a sunday night it's the most radical thing that ever, ever happened and that church i was a part of people started to clap in meetings And we went to a church meeting and clapping in meetings got outvoted by those who didn't like it. This is the church of Jesus that's going to take the world, but we won't have clapping in our meetings. Now you're laughing because you think, well, this is absolutely crazy, but those were some of the battles that we fought so that you can clap your heart out in the meetings right now. We were there. It was tough stuff. But when individuals and churches got filled with the Holy Spirit, the freedom, the liberty, the joy, the expression was tangible. Again, We might have become over familiar with this, but the more Holy Spirit, the more freedom. And that is expressed often in our worship. It's not putting on a face and pretending you're happy when you're not. We don't want to be that kind of church. We've got to be real and honest. But but when the spirit of common you know, the Bible says when the spirit of the Lord where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. And surely that is important. So when you name something, beware. What's the name of your church? That's a ridiculous name for you to have. You've now got to live up to it. Every time I come, I'm looking for Freedom Church. Every time visitors come, you've gone and called your name Freedom Church. Well done, because That is a wonderful expression, but you have to live up to your reputation. There's no point being Freedom Church and then I come in and it's all kind of... I love names. I love the name New Ground, but there are moments when I dread that we named ourselves New Ground because unless we have New Ground, (laughs) we can't (laughs) say anything. It's got to be new plants, new nations, new ground, taking new ground. You've got Freedom Church. Finally, and we'll touch perhaps about on this a bit more tomorrow as well, it opens the door to charismatic life. Fruit is vital, absolutely. Character is important when the Spirit of God comes upon you. But it also means there's an igniting of the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, loads of teaching about when we come together, one has this, one has that. It talks about speaking in tongues and prophecy, etc., etc., etc. These are all normal expressions that come from the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which causes us to be open before him. And the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful. They're absolutely essential for any church that wants to grow in God and know his purposes. And I believe that the baptism spirit is opening the door for you. This night, I were at a church called Everyday Church uh, last Sunday, and um They put on an afternoon seminar grandly called a prophetic workshop. Liz and I had no idea. We were leading it, but we didn't really have any idea what it was. And they didn't know whether 10 people would come or maybe 40 people would come. Well, 250 people turned up from all their different venues that they've got in everyday church. And so we're right out on a limb. But the thing that I felt confident about was these were people who I knew who had been baptised in the Holy Spirit, but many of them had not yet begun to move in the gifts of the Spirit for all sorts of reasons. So we try to take them on a journey to prophesy for the first time and to have people prophesy over them for the first time. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Almost everybody in the room seemed to either be prophesying for the first time or receiving prophecy from other people. That's not weird. That's normal because when you're filled with the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are being ignited and are flowing through you. Amen.